Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to Sensual Self. I'm Evian Whitney, and this is a space for you to slow down, tune in, heal, and feel the sensations and pleasures of your sensual body. Thank you for being here. Hello, sensual babes. I'm so happy to have you here on another episode of Sensual Self. Before we get into this episode, can I ask you for a quick favor? It won't take more than a couple minutes, but would you write a review for this podcast? I took a quick gander at my podcast stats the other day, and I noticed that I haven't gotten any new reviews in like a minute. (laughs) I don't know too much about how podcast algorithms work, but I have heard that reviews are a big, big help in getting people to find the show and also letting the powers that be know that this is a podcast that exists and folks like listening to. The review doesn't have to be anything crazy, just a couple sentences about what you like about sensual self, what you've learned about yourself since tuning in, and maybe mentioning one of your favorite episodes. You can do this on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're able to review, and you can do it right now. Like, right now. Go ahead, pause this episode, and write a little message of love for sensual self. I'll be here when you come back. Did you do it? Oh my gosh, thank you so much. (laughs) I really, really appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. And thank you for saying such sweet things about Sensual Self. It really, really helps. And I'm really grateful that you enjoy it so much. And who knows? 
your view just might be selected in a random drawing I could be doing in a few weeks where you can enter to win a copy of my soon-to-be-released book, Sensual Self. Maybe. Probably. (laughs) Okay, yes, it will. I will be giving away one of my book to someone who leaves a review for this podcast, and I'll announce the winner on a new episode sometime in a couple of weeks. So go ahead, leave a review, or leave another review if you haven't done one in a couple years. And uh, thanks. Thank you again. Okay, so today's episode, if you couldn't tell by the title, is about decolonizing gender. It's about interrogating the language we have about gender, about what is masculine and what is feminine, and it's about us thinking and getting curious about who we are, like the beingness of our authentic selves outside of the binary. And The binary is in everything, y'all, not just gender. Today, I'm speaking with the sidereal astrologer and the people's oracle, Dana Lynn Knuckles. And if you've never heard Dana speak, you're in for a real treat because to me, she is someone who casts spells of liberation and power with her words. And she does it with this preacher cadence that feels deeply ancestral to me. And in this conversation in particular, hearing Dana speak about what it looks like to decolonize gender, to reimagine our understanding of masculinity and femininity, it did something to me and confirmed why I wanted to have her on the show to talk about this. I've been grappling with my understanding of my gender and what it all means for years, sometimes on this very podcast. Uh, I actually have an episode on here from way, way, way back in the day with my partner, Jonathan, about masculine and feminine polarity from a tantric sexual lens. Uh, I think it's episode five if you want to listen, but I do not recommend it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that episode is so cringe because it speaks very much to what I've been trying to decolonize within myself about my gender. This idea that masculinity is about having man qualities and femininity is about having woman qualities. And as a non-binary person and someone who has grown a lot in their understanding of the spectrum of gender since that episode landed in 2015, that episode feels beyond outdated and honestly a little harmful to my gender identity, enough that I've contemplated taking it down. And maybe I still will. Who knows? But anyway, even though I know that those ideas about masculinity and femininity and gender don't resonate with me at all, they're still in me. And I wanted to bring Dana on because I knew she would bring in perspective about this topic that would help me and maybe you parse out all of this through a liberatory lens. And she did. She really, really did. 
So much so that I'm still processing everything that came up for me from this conversation, including this specific part in our chat where she very generously offered me some big words of wisdom and advice about my relationship with my mom and how it's affecting my gender expression. And uh, yeah, it's deep. I don't really know how else to describe this episode other than that it's it's deep, y'all. <laughs> and if you're at all curious about why we're talking about gender on a podcast about sensuality, I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious, but I'll just say that when it comes to my sensuality, it has everything to do with my body, the way I inhabit my body the history and stories my body holds, the traumas that I'm healing within my body, and the spaces of softness and liberation I'm trying to claim within it. Sensuality is about the body, and my gender expression is about my body as well. Something that I've been thinking about a lot that I hope to touch on in a later episode is how the depth of knowledge I have about my sensuality wouldn't exist if it weren't for the depth of knowledge I have about my gender. That it's because of what I know about the nuances of my gender that I'm able to access deeper realms of experience and be fully in my sensual body. It's all really intertwined for me and I really hope that that makes sense. I think that it does, but you can let me know if that resonates for you as well. Okay, so sit back, relax. If you're on the go, tune in a little deeper. Wherever you are, just try to find some space to savor this sermon Dana offers us. I also recommend maybe pausing this episode to allow her words to really land in your body. And it also wouldn't hurt to listen to this one a few times because it's decadent. Yeah, (laughs) that's another word to describe this episode, decadent. And, you know, stick around till the very end of this episode for, you already know. (laughs) All right, enjoy. Dana, thank you so much for being here on Sensual Self. Thank you so much for having me. I'm beyond excited right now. Oh, me too. I've been wanting to have you on the pod for a while, and I can't wait to dive into this conversation about masculinity, femininity, uh, and just your take on it, because I've heard you speak about it before in Clubhouse chats when Clubhouse was fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And um and I'm really really curious to to hear more from you. But before we dive into that, I would love for you to introduce yourself to everyone. Um cuz there's so I feel like I I was going to do it for you, but I feel like you're just so layered in who you are and what you do and there's such a depth and a richness to your craft. So please tell us who you are. Every time I get asked this question, Eviana, I'm like, okay, who am I today? Yeah, um, that's and right. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with my name is Dana Lynn Knuckles, the People's Oracle. Um, 
And today I will say, because what I've been thinking about in terms of who I am is what I, and what I do is where I came from. Mm. Um, I was born in Danville, Illinois. And shortly after my birth, I was relinquished by my birth mother and adopted by a Black family in Chicago. And through both my inherited biological lineage, as well as the one that I was adopted into, is a long line of preachers, Baptists and Pentecostal. I was raised in the Pentecostal church. And so my initiation into my spiritual gifts, my capabilities, and my voice occurred in the church. And it is from there that I learned about sharing the burden of survival. It is from there that I learned about liberation. And that is the core of what I do, whether it is sidereal astrology, because I am the sidereal astrologer. That's right. If you, you tell them. <laughs> if, if you're using that word and have references for it, trust me, it's because of me, because it didn't exist before. Um, you know, I use oracles, all of them in the tradition of liberation of everyone who's come before me. That's what I think oracles are for. They are for our spiritual liberation, our political liberation, um, our economic liberation. And so that's what I use oracles for, whether it's sidereal astrology, tarot, dream interpretation, or just having divinely inspired conversations like I think we're going to have here today. Yeah. I, I love hearing your background and I really appreciate you bringing in where you came from. I've, I feel like I ask this question to people a lot and that, that, that instinct, that impulse to honor where you've been or who you came from and like what rooted you into everything you are today. Like hearing that you were raised by like preachers makes so much sense. <laughs> When I like think about the way that I, I was about to say consume your content, but like, that's like, yuck, I don't really like that verbiage, but we'll just go with that. Like the way that I encounter, engage with, that's right. Inspired by, I guess. Yes. (laughs) Listen to, feel honored to absorb your content. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, when, when I, when I'm listening to you um, on your videos, mostly I'm, I watch you on YouTube it comes through and also on, on Instagram as well. Like it it just comes through as though you were speaking sermons. And so it makes a lot of sense that you were raised from that background. And and that was something that, um, yeah, that, that feels really, that feels just perfect. Yeah. I mean, my grandfather, my biological, or this would be my adoptive paternal grandfather was deacon of the church for 50 years, a, what you would call a Bible scholar, because, generally Black men of that generation were not allowed into academic institutions. And so his genius, his intellect was, the space for it was in the church. And so I'm the beneficiary of that in terms of being able to explore outside the institution of church, which which generations before me really didn't have the opportunity to do. Mm. You know, they couldn't go Mm -hmm. into libraries. They could not go into academic institutions. So I take that freedom very seriously. Um, and of course, I can't help it. The preaching is in me. And if I'm talking about gender liberation, if I'm talking about, you know, um, uh, decolonizing the survival instinct, it's going to be in this voice and cadence. And, and I say it's not necessarily my voice that's coming through. It's the voice of my ancestors and everyone and everything that poured into me. Yes. That feels really clear for me whenever I am listening to you speak about spirituality, this this concept of spiritual liberation that's like mixed with political liberation, emotional liberation, like all of these things. I 
I mean, there's a lot of folks that I listen to via podcasts or, um, you know, reading books or on the internet. And there's something about the way that you speak within this cadence of like going to church. I, I was raised in a Christian home, so I'm like very, very connected to that. But there's something about the way that you speak that doesn't just rumble my own bones. I feel like it rumbles the bones of my ancestors mm. because they they understand that cadence from you, mm. but also... Okay, what you're I'm saying. about to like ball right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like what? So, so they they recognize your cadence, right? And they're like, oh yes, yes. And then you <laughs> then you start to say things, and they're like, you know, because it's so different from you know thinking about the patriarchy and thinking about white supremacy. Like, I I don't I don't know if these are words or um, if this is a language that they are fluent in. I think that maybe there's something about it that that resonates because they understand it like on some sort of mm-hmm. level. But yeah, I just, I, I'm really glad to hear you speak a little bit about your background because it definitely comes through. And as I said, it like really, it really shakes, shakes the foundations of a lot of things and a, and a lot of people that are within me. So thank you. Thank you. Like that was, <laughs> that was a very unexpected moment of being seen. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. (laughs) And like, (laughs) yeah, I like, I, I'm like, man, I want to talk about sidereal astrology because you're, you're like the main, uh, I was about to say the main bitch, but I don't know if that's kind of your language, but, um, I'm rolling with it. Okay. You're like the main bitch of, of sidereal astrology. But the reason why I brought you here is uh, to talk about masculine and feminine polarity, mm. you had spoken about it in a clubhouse chat, I think probably about a year ago at this rate. Um, and I remember I was like cooking in my kitchen, I was chopping vegetables <laughs> and I don't even remember what you said, Dana, but I just remember being like, oh my God, this, I don't think I've ever heard someone talk about masculine and feminine polarity and the way that I heard you talk about it within mm. those clubhouses. And 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 since then, you know, you've sort of peppered in some of that within some of the other, you know, videos I've watched of you or conversations that you've had around what's happening astrologically. But I knew from then, I'm like, oh my God, I want to talk to this person and to hear more because the way that I understand masculine, feminine polarity, I feel is the way that a lot of folks understand it, which is mm-hmm. from this very gendered, gender essentialist lens. It's very... Um, I, I know a lot of people will say that that's not the this is not the reason for it, but whenever I hear someone talk about femininity, I know that they're they're speaking about womanhood. And whenever I hear someone talk about masculine energy, I know that what they mean is manhood. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm really interested in this concept of decolonizing masculine and feminine energy, particularly because I have recently come out as non-binary and I'm trying to formulate new language about Mm. my own understanding and beingness within my gender. And before we get started, (laughs) I thought it would be cool to just have you explain to us what it means to decolonize something because this is a word that I feel had so much meaning Mm. that has been stripped over the last few years as it is being used, overused, not properly used. Um, I remember I was in a meeting a few months ago and someone was talking about how 
and it was a white person. They were talking about how their book was going to decolonize something or other. And I'm like, impossible. I don't, I don't think it works that way. So please, can you tell us what does it mean to decolonize something? Oh man, I'm, I love this question. And I think something that's kind of inside what you said here is that, um, the progress of language is the work of liberators. Um, and also the minute that those who are, are, are working towards liberation. And when I mean liberation, I, I mean, survival, mm. right. Um, the minute that something can be objectified into word form, it loses its meaning. That's right. right? The doing is always existing. The doing has always existed. The decolonizing has always existed. As soon as we got a word for it, it became a subject of conversation generally to have with people who were not doing the work, right? So to decolonize, to me, is this process of realizing all of the ways that you have not been seeing with your own eyes. You have not been thinking with your own mind and you surely have not been feeling with your own body. That colonization is occupation. It is coming, taking ownership of, stripping of what it is, assigning something else. This happens to your body. It happens to your mind. It happens to your eyes. It happens to land. It happens to culture, right? When we think of colonization, we think of, oh, Columbus discovered, right? As if, as if these people did not exist even to themselves prior to being observed by whiteness, right? So it's this idea that only through the eyes of power, which generally power is white, power is, is male, power is cisgendered, it's heterosexual, something is only real and it only exists if it can be observed and named and measured and quantified through those eyes of power. And so decolonizing something is really fundamentally questioning. It's saying, why do I see it this way? Why do I see myself this way? Even when we're talking about gender, why am I a girl? Like really ask, if you ask someone that question, if you ask someone who, 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 identifies as a woman, ask them, why are you a woman? And I promise you, the list of things is going to be a set of observable qualities, behaviors, and perception of self that was given to them. That's right. It's not going to come from their subjective, um, authentic embodiment of their own consciousness, their own emotional being, their own experience. It's a belief system. Mm -hmm. So to decolonize is to challenge the belief system. It is to ask why. Of everything, there is nothing off the table, nothing. Mm. And if you, if I ask you a question and you give me an answer, I need to know why. And I'm not going to stop until you tell the truth. Because the truth is, is that someone's identity of womanhood, malehood, whatever it may be, is a belief system that they were given and one that they are devoted to because if they're not, their lives are in danger. That's right. That's right. I love how simple 
this definition is of decolonization because even when I was thinking about asking you this question, I'm like, I don't even know if I have the answer to that, you know? Um, and I, I'm thinking about that now, like <sighs> something about what you said regarding like decolonizing has always been a thing. It's always been a thing that we've been doing. We've just had this word attached to it that has created some kind of mark in history in terms of like, now it is a thing. Um, And now, yeah, when I'm, when I'm sitting with myself now and and I'm thinking about that, that definition that you just shared with us around what is decolonization or what does it mean to decolonize something, this idea of challenging, of asking questions, of getting to the bottom of something, of not accepting what you've been given as a definition, as a definition of something. I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I don't know why I was thinking it would be more convoluted than that. And and maybe that's where the the colonization of decolonization <laughs> might might be coming into play, you know? Yeah, I would say too that I think language is really funny. Yeah. You know, we watch it all the time where people will innovate language for something. Its meaning is hidden inside the experiences of a unique kind of culture. And then it is appropriated. And once it's appropriated, it's lost its meaning. So I think in many ways, once we have the language of decolonizing, it's lost its meaning. Because Mm -hmm. now it's not subversive anymore. I think something, I think there's something about there not being a word or language for something keeps it subversive in some way. Mm. Mm. I love that you said that because that's something that I've been thinking about when it comes to masculine and feminine polarity, how there's a concept of this that I think for me, whenever I hear the word masculine and feminine, I just think about white people (laughs) and I, I, I don't want it to be that. I don't want that to be my, um, my reference point, but I mean, whenever, when I first heard of this concept of like masculine and feminine energy, it it was, it wasn't rooted in anything other than this particular specific definition of what that looks like. And I'm, there's, oh my God, there's so much I want to say. I, let me just ask a question instead. Why do you think that the concept of masculine and feminine energy, the concept of masculine and feminine polarity needs to be decolonized? Whew, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's start here. Let's start with the binary, right? You said that when you think of masculine and feminine in these terms, you think of whiteness and I don't think you're wrong. Mm. There's a book uh, by Marimba Ani called Yurugu. And there's another book called The Invention of Women Women, by an author who I've now learned has some um, uh, kind of oppressive views on gender. But one idea that is common in their writing is this idea of what they would call like a Eurocentric value system, belief system, culture, or the culture of whiteness is obsessed with what can be seen, right? And 
you identify, observe, and legitimize based on visual observation. And based on visual, I mean, let's just get right to it, right? Based on visual observation, oh, there's only two kinds of genitals. Yeah, some people may deviate, but we'll fix those, Mm -hmm. right? There's only two kinds of genitals. And because there's only two kinds of genitals, then there's only two kinds of people. And you're either male or you're either female, right? And so what we get when we talk about masculinity and femininity is really just other words for gender, right? I know we, we, they, we want them to, they want to make it seem like they're talking about something that transcends gender. Like, no, the implication is that if you have a vagina, you are feminine. And if you have any masculine qualities, you are deviating. We're going to fix that. Right. Right. right? So for me, decolonizing gender, decolonizing masculinity and femininity begins with discarding the binary. Mm. This is very difficult. Yeah, I was just about to say. (laughs) It's difficult to the point that people think it's not possible. Yeah. But I've thought about this, right? What the binary erases is a foundational thing that I'm just going to call isness, right? You are. I am. We're here. I see you. You see me. Hey, right? Anything beyond that is assumptions I make about you based on the limitations of language, historical time period, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where I'm at on this decolonizing, and I think something I think we keep coming back to here is language. Yeah. Right. In In a video, I talked about how once I gender you, I lose my curiosity about you. I know you. There's no reason for me to ask you questions. There's no reason for me to um, uh, get to know you. If I see you, I say, oh, you're a woman. I've already decided the range of emotions you're allowed to feel. I've decided how you should wear your hair. I've decided what your voice is supposed to sound like, what your gait is supposed to look like. And don't get me wrong, there is something rooted in survival here, but I wouldn't need it to be rooted in survival if patriarchy didn't exist. That's a whole other conversation, right? (laughs) Yes. So decolonizing gender, meaning questioning why. Why is there gender? Has gender always existed? And to what end? Mm. Right? I mean, that's, that's where we start. And... It's people have reductionist answers. Again, they're going to go back to genitals. Right. But again, who made that decision? And, and, and there's, there's evidence and there is reality still existing that there are cultures where that binary does not exist as it does here. There are cultures always where people have existed outside of that binary where roles in society were not assigned based on that binary. And so I'm not sure if this is really answering your question, but I'll, I'll land here that we have to start with language. And I think we start with language by throwing away nouns, Mm. moving into verbs, Mm. right? Masculinity, femininity, this is not because again, this is this is if I can tie this all together, it's it's like, okay, if 
if I know what's real, only based on what physical, observable, measurable, quantifiable, double blind, trialed, you know, observations that I can make, then of course I'm going to land at this binary. But everybody knows that there are things that exist that are beyond my consciousness, what I, what I think, what I see. Patriarchy is obsessed with seeing and naming things, including you and me. And so if we take gender as rather than a polarity, but a gradient of being that anyone can be at any given time, and we know this is a fact because what I might define as feminine today was not feminine a hundred years ago. Right. So what's the what's the reason for that? Why? Right. So I think decolonizing, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about the patriarchy and dismantling the patriarchy and capitalism, we have to decolonize gender because every single system of oppression is perpetuated through the binary of gender. They're selling me clothes and want me to buy money because I need to buy girl clothes now. Mm-hmm. I can't hand me down my boy clothes because I need the girl clothes. Like, come on. It's ridiculous. Right. I don't know if that answered your question, but I'm going to no. stop it there. No, no, no. That was so great. There's, it's, uh, and I, I, I appreciate that this conversation feels very alive and that mm. we're not coming into any like definitive definitions of what it is or yeah, like it just feels like how can you put a finger on something that at its core was not designed to be pinpointed mm. so, um, so I'm easily. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's something very mutable about gender. And there's something very mutable to me about masculinity and femininity. And I think you were talking about um, language and I love that we're bringing language so much into this because how could it not be connected to all of these things? But um, something that I've thought of as I have been trying to decolonize my gender, Mm. I feel like I don't know if I can use the word femininity or masculinity anymore because it's been so deeply tarnished by this fixed idea and understanding of what that energy looks like when it's manifested um, that if I say it, I just, it feels like it is, it's, it feels like it's still conjuring up those same images and Mm. those same fixed definitions, even if I don't subscribe to it. So I thought like, okay, what does it look like for me to actually not use the word feminine to describe me or to not use the word masculine to describe part of my energy? What other words are there? Like, I feel like we're really fixed and focused on these two words that supposedly have flexibility and fluidity, but feel really fixed. Um, and I don't, I don't have the answer to that question, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like what are the other words we can use? Because the history of these words and the oppression that comes along with these words and the confusion that comes along with these words, I'm like, maybe we should just throw it all away and start, start over. The question that I would ask back is why do you need a word? Mm, yeah. Language is a performance too, right? I mean, one of the concepts that I think we're circling around here is form, meaning what something appears to be versus function versus what it's actually doing at any given time. And the performance of either one of those, right? That essentially language is a social product. Mm -hmm. 
And it's a way that I talk to you about something that maybe you haven't experienced or we're not experiencing now, right? So to say I am feminine is implicitly saying I ascribe to these specific set of behaviors, past, present, future. There's that fixed thing, mm-hmm. right? Which is why I'm kind of like, let's, let's experiment with verbs. One of the ways that this came up was talking about mothering and fathering and that these two things are independent of gender, right? And we know this to be the fact because there are plenty of people who would identify as mothers doing both. Even though culturally the assumption is made is that there is no fathering happening, which is absolutely ridiculous, but it's also a way to uphold male power. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I think of this thing as tertiary. There is a pure something. I don't have a word for it. And then there is the gradient of ways it presents and functions. Right. So if we just say you're a person, you don't really have to say masculine or feminine. In that moment, you are what you are when you're doing what you're doing. And then when you're not doing that, right? I mean, I think what I'm getting at here is we want to be understood. We want to be seen. We want to be validated. And language is a way that that happens. But at the same time, I think where we are kind of moving collectively in terms of liberation and decolonization is understanding that language is really a tool of oppression. Mm. And it's a tool of oppression because your ancestors did not speak this language. What was lost with that? Mm. There might have been a word or concept for exactly the thing that you're talking about, but it's lost not only because you were stripped of your language and forbade to speak it, right? But also the ritual, the communal, the cultural that that language emerged from was also erased. Mm. And so I think in many ways, what we're seeing with the decolonization of gender and the emergence of new words and language, almost it feels like every week to label experience, I feel is, is, is we're trying to piece together a something that we've lost. It's not new, right? We're trying to piece together a something that we've lost. So in the book, The Invention of Women, and I'm not even going to try to butcher this person's name, they talked a lot about how in Yoruba culture, right, prior to the arrivals, you can call it indigenous Yoruba culture, prior to the arrival of white people and all of that stuff, these Roles of social standing in society were not gendered. These roles of of relationship to each other were not gendered. So decolonizes decolonizing gender and masculinity and femininity looks like why is the role that I play in your life gendered? Mm. Like people don't even think to answer that question. 
And, and the truth of the matter is everything is reduced to genitals and people just need to say that. Like, let's just be real. No one wants to say that though. That you're really just, you're deciding everything about me based on the fact you assume I have a vagina, period. I mean, it's crude-ish, but not really. It's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah. I think about uh, gender reveal parties. What it, <gasps> Those are just genital Yo, revealing really? parties. <laughs> like, let's just call it what it is. I mean, right. I mean, and even to say, oh, I'm having a girl. What are you really saying? Are you saying that you're having a baby who has a vagina? Why are you saying that? Are you saying that you are going to condition your child to be in a subservient position to men in order to survive? Are you teaching your child to take on the emotional labor of their community at the expense of their own health and well-being? Is that what you're saying? Let's really let's really get down to it. I mean, Again, I don't, I have people always say nobody wants to have this conversation, but it's really true. Like if I go to somebody's gender reveal party and be like, oh, so what you're really saying is you're going to teach your child to be entitled to authority and to not develop the emotional intelligence to be the caretaker of, of their own body. Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. Yeah, people don't want me to go to their gender reveal party. Oh no. Because I, I, I will ask I will ask the questions that they do not want to ask. Right. right. <laughs> but it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah, it's so true. I, I love that you sort of brought in ancestral, indigenous understandings kind of a little bit of what gender is, what gender wasn't, you know? Um, and that's something that I've been thinking about too, as I've been trying to understand my own gender. And it's so frustrating. And I, I don't know if you have experienced this too, but it's like, I can feel that there is more. I can yeah. feel like what, what you said about like, y- there is a word for the experience that you're having. You just don't know it because it's not in your language. Like the, the fucking frustration of that. And and how how maddening it is because like I I'm with you I would love to deviate from using words like masculine and feminine, but we don't live in a world that is open to or even has a, an understanding that there are other energies concepts states of being that we fluctuate through in a given hour you know. And so I wonder, I mean, I know that you are someone who has roots deep in ancestral work, ancestral reverence. um, And I just wonder like what you know about the ways that our indigenous ancestors, how they saw gender um, and how, how maybe, I don't even know if they even had the words masculine and feminine, but perhaps like something adjacent to that, like what they thought when they heard or when they were being this verb of gender expression? You know, I really do not know the answer to that question. Um, But what came to mind for me, um, there's a book on my bookshelf that's kind of common reading for, for many people in this work by Angela Davis, Women, Race and Class or something like that is the title. Mm. So Angela Davis is kind of a preacher to me in that when you hear Angela Davis speak, 
you know, she comes to you and she says, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then she's going to lay out, right? Um, in this, she doesn't have the preacher cadence, but in this very light, she's building towards something. So in this particular book, she's talking about where did feminism emerge from? And basically she's like, white women appropriated this from black women. She goes mm. back to the um, suffraging, suffragette, suffrage movement yeah, uh, and uh, Sojourner Truth and how they kind of just stole the movement from her. Uh, but one of the things that she talks about in that book in terms of gender is actually very, very much related to how we began this conversation. When you ask me about decolonizing and how this is something that's always been happening, we just did not have a label or name for it. She talks about gender roles in the division of labor and how when we were enslaved, we did not have these divisions of labor. The house was, was kind of this somewhat genderless place mm. where everyone is involved in the cooking. Everyone is involved in the caretaking. Everyone is contributing their skills to the care and keeping of the family and the household. And it's really only once Black men are given the so-called opportunity to harness the power of their maleness in society that they want to make their homes like the homes of white people, where either the labor of caretaking, keeping of the children, et cetera, is exclusively the work of women, um, or it's, well, yeah or paid labor, which is still the work of women. Women. So I bring this up because, again, I think it's less about having the language for something and more about observing experience. And I think specifically with Black people, gender performance is akin to code switching. Mm. Right? Mm that the ways that we, dare I say, naturally embody gender are not the ways of the culture we are forced to live in. And we see Black people weaponizing gender against each other as a proxy for male white power, if that mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if I see you and I expect you to have a vagina and to be a woman and to fulfill all of these roles, I'm going to enforce that with the same fierceness that I would have enforced upon me as a Black person my subservience and inferiority as a Black person, mm. right? As told by Harmony is the person on, on Twitter who, who I've, I can't say this person originated it, but this is a conversation I've had with them about how cisgendered, like Black people can't be cisgendered, mm. right? I mean, and this is, this is why, <laughs> this is why it's so important to strip back to the just isness, because 
implied in cisgenderness is whiteness. That's right. Implied in maleness is whiteness. And this is why I feel like, okay, this is just like code switching. Right. right? For me to say I am a woman. Okay. Let's really unpack what that is. Where, what is this? I, who, what is the ideal? What is the ideal form and presentation of this? And I promise you, it's going to be a white, blonde haired woman, person with a vagina. I mean, right. So again, I think it's, I think it's less about finding the words our ancestors used and more about observing the evidence for what remains of our ancestors in us now, Mm. which is the fact that you can see yourself as clearly as you do existing outside of the binary is evidence of this thing that existed. And, and I would almost challenge you to, to um, quench the desire for language and allow the being in isness. And I know it sounds really woo woo, but what I really am saying, and it's like as, as straightforward as possible, is to quench the desire to explain to people who you are mm. and let them experience who you are. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It sounds hard. Yeah, I'm like, wait, that resonates, but like, how though? Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's that's really true. You know, something that I'm thinking about is um, I haven't come out to my mom or anyone about uh, other anyone in my family about me being non-binary. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for that is because of this language piece that we keep circling around is that I know my mom is going to have a million questions and she's going to so want... Are you a girl? Are you a boy? Or do you, do, you, do you still like boys? Do you like girls? Like what? Does it mean you're transitioning? Are you going to keep your name? What are you <sighs> going to do with your hair? Like, right. do you not want me to call you daughter? Like there are so many aspects. The, the way that I feel at home in my body and in my gender is when I am able, I, I have the space, the safe space allowed for me to do exactly what you said, which is to allow people to experience me without a word, without um, presumptions. So yes. And then I also think about my mother who and I, I, I want to give her space and compassion for like this being a very big paradigm shift for her, maybe a, a paradigm that she isn't fully uh, understanding of. And, and, I, and I know that the questions that she would ask me would not be coming from a place of trying to be violent or whatever, but it would feel like that for me. And so f- I'm like, okay, I, when I can get to a place where I can ask those, answer those questions in a way that authentically aligns with me and doesn't um, doesn't fix my gender in or doesn't fix my gender experience in, then I think I'll be able to come out to someone like my mom. But for now, I'm like, I don't know how to talk about gender to someone who's full experience of themselves and the world around them is within the binary. Mm. Yeah, it's um cuz I I god, I would love I would love to just be like, "Hey, mommy, I'm I'm non-binary." And that's just like, "Cool. Have fun with that." I'm excited to see, mm. but I know that it's going to be a Ooh. lot of questions. Okay. Okay. 
So this, this is, oh, I'm so glad that you're sharing this because I think there's a mirror here. And the word that, that I keep coming back to, well, one of the words I keep coming back to, especially when you described questions you imagined your mother asking you, were all about how will you perform non-binariness? Uh-huh. That's right? right. How will I know that you are non-binary? What are the visual cues that I can observe to know that you are non-binary. Yes. Which is like, hmm. And I think the ways that we internalize the gaze of other people is very core to the function of gender. Yes. So right. (laughs) Even you... Being authentically yourself as non-binary conjures up this way that you have to see yourself through the eyes of your mother. Mm, mm-hmm. And to that, and I know I know this is really wild to say, but Just why? Just say it, girl. <laughs> why? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. think that the tension with this language versus just being has to do with how will I legitimize my existence to other people? When the fact is you exist and therefore you are legit. Dare I say too legit to quit. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? But it's, 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 Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the fact of non-binariness in and of itself is about you being who and what you are when you are what you are. Yeah. And to have to observe yourself through someone's eyes so that someone can understand you is an act of violence. Mm. Again, it's not malicious. Right, right, right. Right? But to have to explain your existence, it's like I'm here in front of you, you know? See me. Be here. That's where I wanted to go with this too. That even in having this hypothetical conversation with your mom in your head, right? There is this drive, this tension of I gotta pin it down to something she can understand. I've gotta, I've gotta, and then that feels inauthentic because the whole point is that I'm not either of those things. I'm all of them whenever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's really the simplest explanation, which goes back to verbs over nouns, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That I am being or I am. Femininitying sometimes, I am masculinitying sometimes, and sometimes I do them both at the same time. And that's what the binary of gender erases the fact that both can be there simultaneously existing at the same time, because there's no visual cue for that. There's right. no visual cue for things existing at the same time. And the fact is, 
even if I identify as a woman and call myself feminine, I'm only doing that because if I try to do both, I'm going to be subject to violence. And even if I'm just doing one, I'm going to be subject to violence. We cannot, we cannot um, disconnect gender from survival, gender performance of survival, even the language of gender from survival. I mean, that may not necessarily be a dynamic with you and your mom, but I most for certain imagine, and this comes up a lot with my clients, like the ways that the mothers are the enforcers of patriarchy mm. in the household, the yes. ways that mothers uh, uh, bequeath to their children the, the behaviors required to survive male dominance and violence. And unfortunately, a lot of that child-parent dynamic for many people is about, my mom's worried about me. She's going to be concerned. Yes, there's some curiosity there, but beneath the curiosity is, well, how are you going to have kids? And how are you going to get married? And how are, how are you going to be financially secure? How are you going to secure your future? Are you going to marry a man? Are you going to, who's going to, right? I mean, because that's really at the bottom of all of those questions. Right. Survival. Yep. 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 And parents being worried. Yeah. Which the fact of the matter is, you know, those there's there's a concept in in sidereal astrology that I I would say I assign it, but I observe it through sidereal Scorpio, actually, which is this concept of being too different to hide. Right. In contrast with passing or conforming to the uh, dominant culture, right? There is a way that Blackness is too different to hide. I can change class. I can change my name. I can go to different schools. I can change my cadence and my tone of voice and how I talk, but my face is still Black as hell. Mm-hmm. Too different to hide. This is a kind of queerness. Right? Yes. Whereas people who can conceal their differences, right? I assign this to sidereal Taurus, right? This capacity to pass for the dominant culture. And many times it's often just class for Black people. It's access to capital, it's middle class, going to specific schools, knowing this person. HBCUs, Greek culture, all of that stuff that allows them to disarm the oppressor by appearing to not be as different as they actually are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so even with language, even with language, we conceal the queerness. And I feel this fight of let me just be, get to know me experience me, build a relationship with me. Because whether we're doing that in our families, again, or our intimate relationships, or broadly with people we may not be blood related to, I mean, that's the path to liberation. The path to liberation is to know me beyond the label, to become curious about me, rather than to assume Mm. who I am, because you observed me be with me, then you can know me. Yes. That's what you would say to anyone else, right? 
Oh, absolutely. Right. And that's, that's how you would, right. I mean, because the fact of the matter is mom doesn't know this you and it's not a you that you can put in a bio Mm. or on a piece of paper or gather some labels with. It's a you that has to be experienced because guess what? You may not have the language because you're, you're curious about you now. That's how you landed at non-binary because it's like, oh, wait, this feels kind of good over here, but, but I'm over, oh, huh. And so intimacy means being with you. Mm. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Dana, Dana. I, I, I have so much appreciation and admiration for folks who, when I ask them a question in any, in any space, but particularly on the podcast, they don't answer it. They just ask me five more questions. Mm-hmm. And that helps me to think like, oh, actually, because, you know, one of the philosophies is in my work is that I believe that you are the expert of your own experience, that you are the expert of your sexuality, you are the expert of your body, you're the expert mm-hmm. of your gender. Even if you don't think that you are, like, I believe that that is, that is um, what's true. And so whenever, you know, I ask a question that I'm like, I don't know the answer to, and then you ask me five questions back, I feel like that's you're giving me permission to also access the expertise of my own gender and yeah. my own wisdom around yeah. around these topics, which, yeah, I just, damn, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. And this is that thing that I was talking about with when we were talking about your moon sign placement and kind of how that yeah. always shows up in my life, that there's this thing of, of experiencing something is a valid way to know, Mm. not just for you of yourself, but for other people of you as well. And I think that there is a kind of, you know, I think of, of, of modern American English as a capitalist language of efficiency. And often the efficiency is I don't have time to get to know you. Yes. I don't have time to engage with you deeply and intimately. And some of that is true, again, especially when we're talking about survival. I don't have time to sit and think about whether this person across the street from me is a man or not. My survival is at stake in this culture, in this society. Men are likely to be dangerous towards me, right? And so I use those assumptions to protect me. But that only happens when you're on the weaker end of the power dynamic. When you're on the other end of the power dynamic, those assumptions are used to maintain the power dynamic, right? I forgot where I was going with that, but yeah, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I I could literally talk to you forever. This is so great. There, uh, yeah, there's so many things. And I would love to have you back on the podcast, actually, to just like continue to dive into these depths of decolonization of gender, of body, of blackness. Like I love, oh my God, I love what you said about blackness being inherently queer because it's something that I think about a lot. There's so many things. But to close this particular conversation, I want to know, you know, we're we're talking about language here and, and we're talking about what it's like to experience and be curious about yourself and and have other people experience and be curious about you. And 
I want to know like if there are any questions at the top of your mind that can help other folks who are in this process of decolonizing their gender or decolonizing their sexuality or decolonizing their body, any questions that can help them to be curious about their own experience um, outside of these defining fixed labels, words, and language that I think we are all accustomed to using because that's just the way that it is, you know? This goes back to the why in the decolonizing and what that might look like, I think, is when you arrive at a judgment and you arrive at a conclusion, ask why. Oftentimes, even when we're interacting with other people, we come to the conversation with our judgments already formed. And because we do that, we miss out on an opportunity for intimate engagement where we can mirror to other people the curiosity that we have about ourselves. Mm. One of the things I talk about with a lot of my clients recently is about self-doubt and often (laughs) how we interview people and we take polls and we ask for other people's opinions and we read books and we do research because we want to know what language is out there, what concepts are out there. But in terms of this decolonizing and this why, this piece of being curious about yourself, I think is about questioning every judgment that Mm. you have formed. One of the phrases I say frequently is that identity is a belief system and it's being weaponized against you. Mm. Right. That there is a cult of womanhood and there is a cult of manhood, and I really dare someone to 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 disprove it. It is a set of beliefs about who the adherent is that they must subscribe to, even to the point that they will abandon their own experience of themselves and the world around them to maintain the doctrine of the identity that they have been assigned. That's right. It is enforced with violence. Mm -hmm. The consequences for not adhering to the binary of gender is violence. Anything that must be upheld with violence must be decolonized and must be questioned. Yes. If you land on any behavior or assumption about yourself that has been enforced with violence, that needs some questioning. That that needs some decolonization and, and gender really. I mean, and 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 it's not just violence from other people. It's self-mutilation. Mm. In the form of cutting out of me any emotional experience that has been deemed uh, a heresy. Heresy, 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 heresy. Sure, to, yeah. <laughs> to, to whatever this gender thing is. So, so this curiosity thing is about asking why. 
And it is also about clinging to those who encourage you to trust yourself. Mm, Not everyone can be trusted with this journey because you will soon become a projection screen for their own self-doubt and insecurities. Because the the real issue is, if you are our non-binary, what does that make me? If I'm attracted to you, what does that make me? That's if I'm right. Your mother, what does that make me? That's right. Why does my identity have to be a statement about yours? Mm. Mm. I think that's the question to land on. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And why is it my labor? Yes. Why is it my job to work that out for you? Well, yes, because if I don't, violence. Again, not necessarily in a mother-child relationship, sure. but if a trans person, you know, if a, a cisgendered male finds themselves attracted to a trans person, the violence is because they refuse to acknowledge some kind of statement that being attracted to that person says about them. That's self-mutilation. Mm. And then you you got to externalize that because you just cannot hold that in you. Right. I'm going to stop there. I could go on. We could go on. Oh, girl. Listen, when I tell you the spirit of our decolonized gendered ancestors are in this, in this conversation, ah, Dana, thank you. Thank you so much for not just like sharing your wisdom with me and with everyone else who's listening, but for also holding the space for me personally around these complicated questions that I have about my beingness and my isness. And I just, I feel after this conversation, so much permission to Mm -hmm. continue to walk on my journey without being um, so interesting. The 10 of wands just popped into my head without being like labored and, and like broken down by like the daunting task of figuring it out. Like, what does it look like for me and for everyone else to just like be, you know? That was, that was my card of the day this morning, the 10 of wands. No, really? Yeah, it's the wow. card, it's my card of the day today. Wow. That That's kismet. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before before we close today, can you please tell us where we can find you, where folks can book a session with you, where you're on the internet streets? Tell us everything. I am all over these internet streets. You can find me um, tweeting a lot <laughs> uh, on Twitter at People's Oracle. Same handle on Instagram at People's Oracle. Lately, I'm, I'm posting pretty frequently on YouTube. You can search the People's Oracle on YouTube for that. Um, while I don't necessarily open my books frequently because I'm tired, um, I do have lots of content in my online shop. My goal is is for you not to need me because it's too mm. exhausting for you to need me. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't read everyone. So I, I create that. tools so that people can can be their own astrologer and not in some like corny kind of way. But I feel like your personal intimate knowledge of your day-to-day life is actually what equips you to be the best astrologer. I just give you some worksheets and tools 
so that you can translate that into astrology. And next thing you know, you don't need me. And I'm so glad about it. <laughs> so <laughs> you can find all of those things on my website, thepeoplesoracle.com. Just click shop. And if you're curious about your sidereal birth chart, there's a link there that shows you how to cast your sidereal birth chart and lots of stuff in my online shop that can help you in that process. Yes. Oh, I cannot wait to have you back on the pod to talk about sidereal astrology. Yes, please come back so we can we should, have more conversations. We should do a live thing. <gasps> yes. We should do a live thing. Totally. I would love that. Me too. Okay, y'all, stay tuned for that. Yeah. <laughs> when we're both not busy as hell, we yes. can do that. Yes. Yeah. When we get when we get past the slump of the ten of wands, you Ooh, know, <laughs> clearly we're both there. <laughs> Literally. Thank you so much, Dana. This has been my my deepest, deepest pleasure. Thank you for having me and creating the space for this wonderful conversation. And again, thank you so, so much. Okay. Do y'all see why I call this episode deep and decadent? I mean, did this conversation shake the foundations of everything you thought you knew about gender? Or was it just me? (laughs) I hope it's not just me. I have a feeling it's not just me. And uh, yeah, wow. Big, big, big thanks to Dana for the veracity of her words and for this sermon that is still resonating in my own body. I'm really looking forward to continuing this conversation with her in the near future. Uh, But let's move on to today's sensual practice. Actually, I think what I'm going to do is I'd like to invite you to take an intentional breath with me. We moved through a lot during that conversation, and it feels like we could offer the body a little grounding and a little more space to process uh, through our breath. So wherever you are, take a slow and steady inhale through the nose Filling the low belly, expanding into the chest, and exhale all the way out with a sigh. Once more, inhale gently through the nose and into the low belly, and exhale completely, mouth open with a soft sigh. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for doing that with me. And uh, thank you for doing that for yourself. As for our practice today, I'd like for us to continue to follow this thread of generating curiosity about ourselves as a means of decolonizing who we think we are and who we think other people are. So some questions I have for you. Um, The first one is, what sensations, thoughts, feelings, or memories were coming up in your body or mind as you were listening to Dana speak? Um, Maybe that was some resistance or elation Maybe there was some tension in your body, or maybe there was a feeling of relief. Just do a quick body check-in. Next question, what beliefs, 
good, bad, or neutral, do you have about yourself, about the identities that you claim, and about the gender you have? What assumptions do you tend to make about yours and others' masculinity? What assumptions do you make about yours and others' femininity? What stories do you hold in your body and on your tongue about who gets to be masculine and who gets to be feminine? A couple more questions. In what ways do you feel boxed in by language and labels? And where do you want to break free? Where do you want more space to be created so that you are an energy and an experience rather than an idea or definition to be consumed or flattened by understanding? And how will you start making that space for yourself? How will you start being curious about who you are. And a fun bonus question for all the cis folks out there. Um, That's cisgender folks, folks who identify as the gender they were assigned at birth. What is it, besides the genitals between your legs, that makes you a woman or a man? What does it mean and what does it feel like to be a woman or a man if the external things you were taught that defines womanhood or manhood didn't exist for you. I'm really curious about that. Really, really curious. And look, I don't have the answers to a lot of these questions. And it's okay if you don't either. I mean, gender is weird, and what we're touching on here is bigger than an idea or a concept. It's really like a new paradigm that, if you choose to take it with you, is designed to seismically shift everything you thought you knew about yourself and the world. That's what it means to decolonize something. And that shit can be scary, and it can be really overwhelming, So be easy on yourself as you hold this space to process through these questions. You can do them in your own journal, on your own time, or you can make a voice memo of you talking out loud about what's coming up for you as you parse through these questions. No right or wrong answers. Just remember to stay curious. Oh, and before I go... Uh, I want to let you know that Sensual Self is going to be taking a short break to rest and prep for some very fun stuff that is happening as we close out the year, one of which is the exciting launch of my book, also called Sensual Self, which you can pre-order now wherever you find books. You can also join my newsletter to stay in touch with me while I'm away. EvianWhitney.com slash subscribe is where you'll find that. And I'll put that in the show notes. Um, And yeah, I'll be back in your feed really soon with more sensual inspiration for you. Uh, But in the meantime, stay soft and be kind to yourself. Sensual Self is created and hosted by me, Evian Whitney. It is edited and produced by Tribble. Music is by Melody Symphony from his song, Just Healing. 
For everything you want to know about this podcast, including previous episodes, show notes, transcripts, and resources, go to evianwhitney.com slash podcast. You can also follow the show on Instagram at sensual.self. If you have a moment, I would love it if you rated and reviewed this podcast. It helps others find the show, and as a result, it helps them uncover their sensual self. As for me, I'm on Instagram at evian.whitney, and if you want to know more about me and my work, go to evianwhitney.com. And please check out my book, Sensual Self, Prompts and Practices for Getting in Touch with Your Sensual Body. To pre-order, go to evianwhitney.com slash sensualself. Thanks so much for being here and for creating this space for yourself. I'll see you in the next one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.